embark, embark upon a musical voyage through millennia of traditional Chinese instruments and classics. Invigorate, invigorate your senses with the sound of the seasons from Chinese instruments. The melodies genuinely reflect the heart and spirit of the Middle Kingdom, with a plethora of sounds blossoming from the old and new. Get enchanted by the ancient harmony of Chinese people and culture as it coincides with the nature of vitality, the very essence of life. This is the sound of bronze chime bells that date back to China's Warring States period more than 2,400 years ago. Called the Zhenghoui chime bells, they were unearthed in 1978 in the royal tomb of the Marquis Yi from the ancient Zheng state. This was also the year that marked the start of a new chapter in China's history. And uh, the bells were the most sophisticated music instrument humankind had ever produced by that time. It was absolutely the most sophisticated music instrument in the entire world, not only in China. The discovery of the Zhenghoui Bell was not the one of the most important archaeological discoveries in China so far. It is the most important. Dr. Jay Xu, the curator of San Francisco's Asian Art Museum, explains why his sentiment for this instrument is nothing less than amazing. It is not only a wonderful work of art, but also a manifestation of the highest technology. And also it is the embodiment of the most developed music making in China. Of course, China is very rich in all kinds of wonderful archaeological discoveries, but nothing is similar or comparable to the importance of Zhenghoui bells, in my view. The discovery of the bells revealed a design that had been lost to history. Their unique oval design means that each bell can produce two different tones depending on where it's struck. The whole set has a range of five octaves with a complete 12-tone scale, which is extraordinary given that the bells were cast over two millennia before Bach's authoritative work on tonality. Ranging from 8 inches to 5 feet in height, the 65 bells hanging three tiers from an L-shaped wooden frame with 19 bells at the top, 33 in the middle and 12 at the bottom. The smallest bell weighs 5 pounds, the largest about 450 pounds, for a total of 2 tons, which is equal to the weight of 10 pianos. The collection of bells is played by up to 9 musicians at a time. If you've never seen the Zhenghoui bells, perhaps you can imagine it as being like a carillion, the musical instrument usually housed in the bell tower of a church or municipal building in some countries. The Zhenghoui bells are kept in the Hubei Provincial Museum. Fang Qin is the curator of the museum. The Zhenghoui chime bells are the largest among the entire archaeological discoveries in China. The set weighs nearly five tons. They're fine-casted and cover five octaves, which is comparable to the modern piano. There is a gold inscription on each bell that records historical events, musical theories and the sound that each bell produces. There is only one bell with a flat bottom called Bo. The inscriptions on this bell reveal that they were gifts from the King of True State to the Marquis of Zheng State, Yi. 
It has provided the earliest theory of Chinese music, and it's the only set of bells that portrays the musical theory of ancient China. When the Zhonghui chime bells were unearthed, there were also other musical instruments being excavated, including stone chimes, ancient Chinese plucked zithers, traditional reed instruments, and various drums. More than 125 instruments were found, which resemble an orchestra. It was like getting a hold of a 2,400-year-old encyclopedia of Chinese music, which is amazing. The small bells on the top generate the pitch. Each bell produces two tones depending on where it is struck. For example, this is the sound from the front of the pitch bell, and this is the sound from its side. Now moving on to the bass area at the bottom, the sound from the front of the bass bell, and the sound from its side. The deepest note, the highest note. Rituals and music were fundamental parts of the development of early Chinese culture. Chinese ya yue or elegant music was originally a form of classical music and dance performed at royal court and temples. The basic conventions of ya yue were established about 3,000 years ago. Together with law and rights, it formed the formal representation of aristocratic political power. Ya yue music only incorporates a small selection of instruments, including chime bells. Professor Tan Jun from the Wuhan Conservatory of Music spoke to us about their role in ancient times. In ancient China, music and ritual played a very important role in governing the country. Music was used to balance the emotions of people, and rituals were used to maintain social order so that the society could be harmonious. Therefore, the chime bells were a significant instrument of a powerful state because of their ceremonial, dignified, and royal style. Just as theater developed from ancient Greek festivals held in honor of the gods, music played a key role in helping to organize social life in ancient China. Zhang Xiang, a research fellow of the Hubei Provincial Institute of Cultural Relics, explains. The system of ritual music consists of many rules. Music is an essential part of this system. It was significant in human civilization, as it was often used in worships and ceremonies, which was a tool to organize social orders in ancient times. Several millennia ago, bronze was a very precious material, and its casting required technology that was advanced at the time. That's why chime bells made of bronze could only be used in a royal court. Music was related to social status in ancient China. The more bells a person had, the more powerful he was. As we have found in some tombs, there were sets of chime bells in combinations of four, eight, or sixteen. The more bells the owner of the tomb had, the more powerful he was. Marquis Yi had the largest number of bells that we found. Robert Tolish, a German composer and producer of Chinese art music, says the tomb of a king millennia ago was usually extravagantly decorated with luxurious items, but the Zhenghui tomb was different. Zhenghui's tomb is not very big. It's not to compare with something like the Egyptian pyramids or the terracotta soldiers. Zhenghui's tomb is not huge, but the core elements in this tomb. 
their musical instruments. And the set of bells, outstanding. So the bells really can represent Chinese history and also can represent a kind of spirit from that time. The most important thing for a king to take into his tomb is not gold or weapons, but is music. Confucius viewed music as the best reflection of a nation's manners. And in old times, authority was manifested in rites and ceremonies as much as it was in laws and pronouncements. As an instrument, the Zhenghoyi chime bells came from an age-old time, but as a carrier of history, it brings the past to the present. From the perspective of history, it was the musical instrument of feudal lordships, but now common people can also appreciate its charm. Since it was unearthed in 1978, more than 600 million people from all over the world have seen a performance of the Zhenghoyi bells or one of its replicas, according to statistics by the Hubei Provincial Museum. We currently receive nearly 2 million visitors a year, but if you can imagine that just a decade ago, it was amazing for us to get 300,000 visitors a year. Besides domestic visitors, over the past 40 years, more and more people from abroad have visited China to quench their interest in Chinese culture. There were no travel agencies in China in 1978. Only 1.8 million people visited China from overseas that year. In last year alone, more than 139 million travelers came to China, 77 times the number that came 40 years ago. Without the reform and opening up of China, there wouldn't be a 40-year revival of the Zhenghoyi chime bells. This is Chinese archaeologist Feng Guangsheng. In 1978, he was a 24-year-old music major who had graduated and was working at a cultural organization in a small county in Hubei province. When the archaeological site where the Zhenghoyi bells would be discovered needed more helping hands with the excavation, he volunteered his help and stepped on a path of archaeology. He witnessed the excavation of the Zhenghoyi chime bells in 1978, one year after the conclusion of the 10-year Cultural Revolution of China. When I saw the Zhenghoyi chime bells for the first time, I was not as surprised as what people may imagine because I had never seen such instruments before. Also, I knew nothing about chime bells, ancient instruments, or archaeology. I learned their name right at the excavation site. Although I had been learning music during the Cultural Revolution before 1978, there were many courses that were closed. In 1978, modernization was the watchword in China. China's former leader Deng Xiaoping announced that the country was launching a major change of policy that heralded economic reform. We must cast off our mental shackles so that we can really emancipate our minds. When everything is to be done by entirely referring to the book, when thinking turns rigid and blind faith prevails, it is impossible for a party or a nation to make progress. Its life will cease and that party or nation will perish. That was the starting point of this latest major chapter of China's road to modernization. In 1978, 680,000 freshmen would enter universities, which had been shut for the better part of the previous decade. 17 movies banned during the Cultural Revolution were allowed back into the cinemas. Western art was again part of cultural life in China. 
And the word love became part of life again. A romance novel was broadcast on the radio, and a few couples were even seen walking hand in hand along the street. In that year, it was hard to find a telephone to dial across provinces or accept international calls in Beijing. Except public phones in the post and telegraph buildings in the city center. Feng says he's very lucky to be able to follow in the footsteps of his tutor Huang Xiangpeng, who was one of the few archaeologists who specialized in bronze chime bells in that era. His tutor had started to notice that some of the bells found across China could produce two distinct tones before the Zhenghoyi bells were found. However, no one believed him until the two millennia-old bells were unearthed. He believed that every single bell had two tones. It couldn't be a coincidence. However, other people felt that such a belief was ridiculous. Ultimately, his findings were released after the Zhenghoyi bells were unearthed. As a result of this research, the understanding of ancient Chinese musicology was enhanced. Two thirds of the musical theories provided by the inscriptions on these bells were new to the archaeologists at that time. Sound is the soul of the instrument. We were eagerly looking forward to experiencing the sound of the Zhenghoyi bells after they were excavated, due to the fact that the ancient instruments were buried in a tomb filled with water for two thousand years. How did its submersion affect the quality of the instrument? So much mystery was waiting to be revealed. Because he lacked training in archaeological research, Feng Guangsheng was mainly responsible for preparing documentation at the excavation site. He recorded the excavation process and what archaeologists learned as the dig progressed. I was very curious about the instrument, especially for what it would sound like after 2,400 years of undisturbed slumber underground. I was responsible for carrying these bells into a warehouse at the time, so I picked up a small bell and struck it. It sounded impressively clear and bright, like a drop of water falling from the bell. Feng thirsted for knowledge after encountering these bells. He wrote down every detail that was not understood about the bells and drew every single piece of ornamentation that he saw on his notebook, in which he later received counsel from his mentor. Feng said, once he laid eyes on the Zhenghoyi bells, his future path was set. From knowing nothing to being increasingly interested in this ancient instrument. I stepped into a journey of archaeology, from being curious to being impressed. That had become increasingly sacred to me in my heart over the past forty years. The year after they were recovered from the Marquis' tomb, a group of archaeologists and metal casters set to work on making a replica of the bells. It was a research-based replication. We were trying to figure out the technique and craft, how ancient people made it two millennia ago. We really felt the hardship of making a chime bell set like this without the help of modern technology. Replicating the bells was a huge challenge. Any change in the appearance of a bell would influence its sound compared to the original. And although some of the bells looked identical to the original, differences in the materials could change the sound they created. The challenge seems all the more daunting when you consider that the ancient craftsmen had to rely on their ears and their experience to make sure that each bell was correctly tuned. In fact, the purpose of the replication was also to protect the original piece. 
The replica could be used for exhibitions and performances. The original material of the Zheng Hui bells was made of bronze, which is hard and strong, but frequent beating will cause some damage over time. Soon after the first set of replica bells was made, they started touring the world. Over the past four decades, five sets of replica bells have been made, and these replicas have traveled to more than 20 countries, including Germany, South Korea, Italy, Egypt, the United States, and Japan. In 1992, an exhibition organized by the archaeologist Feng Guangsheng was held in Tokyo. When the replica of the Zheng Hui chime bells was exhibited in Japan, it caused a sensation. Many of the then royal families of Japan went to see it. During the exhibition, the Tokyo National Museum received 5,000 to 10,000 visitors each day. A steady flow of visitors were always waiting in front of the gate. Liao Guiying, the chief curator of the Chang Foundation Museum in Taiwan, saw the replica of the Zheng Hui bells in Tokyo. I saw the replica of the Zheng Hui bells. Although our archaeological expertise helped us to understand this ancient instrument, I was still impressed by its massiveness and also the fact that it could still produce music. Therefore, I got the idea of having a replica of the Zheng Hui bells in Taiwan. I felt that, being of Chinese descent, the art and history passed down from our ancestors was something engraved deeply in my heart. Heart. It's simply a delight to see that we are in possession of an orchestra from two millennia ago. <laughs> from 1992, I have been visiting museums in Beijing, Xi'an, Shanghai, and so on. Actually, our true endeavor was to seek our roots and origin of arts. That's why I had a lot of communication with the Chinese mainland at that time. Many musical experts in Taiwan suggested that I seek opportunities with our mainland counterparts, which I agreed to. In 1996, we flew from Taipei to Hong Kong and transferred to Wuhan, the capital of Hubei Province. After I arrived at the Hubei Provincial Museum, it surprisingly only took half an hour to settle everything. We discussed the terms of the replication and. The heads of the museum happily agreed. All of us were excited about the idea, which was quite surprising. Settling the agreement of a replica for Taiwan within half an hour was something very natural. We very much wished to share this with our cross-strait compatriots, given their enthusiasm. So Liao and the heads of the Hubei Provincial Museum hit it off instantly. Moreover, they had funding to support the operation. So the duplication of the Zheng Hui bells is what we called a complete replication. One of the five sets of replica bells, the one in Taiwan, is considered the best of the bunch thanks to their striking resemblance to the original. The replica in Taiwan is a mirror image of the original bells. It's the best among all of the replicas. There are gold inscriptions on these bells, but the other copies don't have the inscriptions. Liao says that in the 1990s, it wasn't easy carrying out cross-strait cultural exchanges, as there were no direct flights between the Chinese mainland and Taiwan. This posed a challenge when it came to shipping the bells. There were many obstacles. Least among which was the fact that they could only be carried on certain aircraft that were big enough to accommodate the five-ton set of bells. 
要运输的时候，真的也费了很多苦心。Transporting it to Taiwan caused a lot of issues. We had to transfer flights in Hong Kong. There weren't any direct flights like there are today. When I transported the replica to Taiwan, I needed to carry the huge replica from Hubei to Hong Kong and then transfer flight to Taipei. The longest beam of the bell rack. Which was about five meters, had to be tied and fixed it inside the cargo hold. Otherwise, it might be broken by turbulence. It's not just pieces of wood glued together. It was made out of a tree several hundreds of years old. As far as I know, for this set of replica, the best wood available at that time was used. Before the Zheng Houyi bells even arrived in Taiwan, Liao and her team started to promote classical Chinese instruments through exhibitions and workshops. To help build up public excitement, and when the bells did arrive, they held two concerts featuring the bells as the main attraction. The stir that this replica made in Taiwan wasn't small. Hundreds of thousands of visitors came to see the bells. Every day, we received about 10,000 to 20,000 visitors to the exhibition. During that time, I was really worried that the British-made carpet in our museum would be damaged. The material began to degrade and lose its luster from all the foot traffic. Archaeologist Feng Guangsheng visited Taiwan several times after the bells arrived. After the replica was completed, I was responsible for handing it over to the museum in Taiwan. The following year, I was invited to train local instrumentalists at a workshop called the Seed Workshop. During the third year, I was invited to attend concerts in Taipei and Kaohsiung. The performance was an utter display of affinity, which demonstrated that the bells had become rooted among the people of Taiwan. While frequent world tours of the replica bells have gained them fame with local audiences in different countries and regions, the original Zheng Houyi bells had only been played on three occasions in China since they were discovered 40 years ago, and all of them have marked moments of national significance. The first time was in 1978 when they were unearthed. The second was in 1984 when the People's Republic celebrated its 35th birthday. On National Day of that year, China held its first parade to mark the occasion since 1959. It was a massive celebration as it marked the end of collectivization, and over the previous six years, the country's GDP had doubled. The third performance of the bells took place in 1997 on the occasion of Hong Kong's return to China. At the gala to commemorate the transition of control over the former British colony to the People's Republic of China, a recording of the original bells was used in a live performance of composer Tan Dun's Symphony 1997. Tan Jun, a professor from the Wuhan Conservatory of Music, was the leading instrumentalist of the bells for the symphony. That was my first time being that close to the Zheng Houyi bells in the symphony 1997. When the composer Tan Dun came to the Wuhan Conservatory of Music in 1996, I knew nothing about him. In 1997, he came again with lots of melodies for chime bells from Japan to compose the melody, but all of them broke after striking the bells. Naturally, he started to worry. 
It was at that time when my mentor recommended my expertise, as I had been doing research on chime bells mallets. When I offered the mallets that I had made, Tanduan was ecstatic and said that they were exactly what he wanted. So he invited me to perform in Symphony 1997. By then, Tanjun had been studying chime bells for 12 years and had been toiling away at making mallets out of different kinds of materials. The harder the mallet is, the clearer the sound of the bell. Softer mallets usually make the sound of the bell sound hazy, but if the mallet is too soft, the bells won't produce any sound at all. And if you use large mallets to strike small bells, or vice versa, they won't produce any sound either. Another essential element for success when it comes to playing a chime bell melody is a harmonious collaboration between the players. As we have seen, four or six hands at most play the piano, depending on the performance. But for the Zhenghuoyi bells, we need nine musicians on those 65 bells. Each bell will produce two different sounds, so it is very hard to perform a perfect melody on the bells. However, this is something we always strive for. In 2002, Tanjun started tutorial courses for chime bells at the Wuhan Conservatory. He started off with 16 students in his first class. In the following year, the number of students had risen to 20 and then to 30, and the number of students has continued to increase since then. There was a year when more than 300 students enrolled in the Chime Bells course, so I thought it was time to set up an ancient musical orchestra. Tanjun established the Chime Bells Youth Orchestra in 2015. We talked to some of the students in this orchestra. I am Gao Wenjun, and I'm 2400 years younger than the Zhenghuoyi bells. But every time I play the chime bells, I feel like I'm in the gym, as playing them takes strength, especially when holding the big mallet. Playing the chime bells is a team effort, so I've learned how to cooperate with others through playing this instrument. Also, I've been able to understand some ancient Chinese wisdom. Such as taking inspiration from nature, and there is harmony in diversity. When I learned how to play certain pieces of chime bell music from my teacher, their mentor, Professor Tan Jun, says that every time the instrument is played, it is a recreation of music. Those solid relics, as long as they were not broken by nature or man-made sabotage, can continue to be passed down to future generations. But music relics are different. 2,500 years ago, there were no recorders, and even decades ago, these devices were rarely seen in China. Otherwise, ancient music could be preserved up to today. Moreover, no musical scores for the bells had survived. Today's playing of chime bells is a recreation of this music. And it's not just our lack of knowledge about how the bells originally sounded that poses a challenge when it comes to keeping alive the public's interest in the instruments. Finding a suitable modern method of sound transmission is still a challenge for the chime bells. The recorded chime bell is different from what people hear live. The sound of the bells has a very long resonance for each of the notes, which leaves audiences in awe. 
it is hard to experience that through recorded music. Moreover, chime bells are not as frequently used as other Chinese musical instruments, and not that many orchestras have chime bells. At the same time, many composers are good at Western musical techniques, which are not suitable for Chinese musical pieces. Presently, there are only a few good composers that specialize in the chime bells, such as Tan Dun, Zhao Jiping, and Liu Changyuan. Generally speaking, we still lack talent when it comes to this type of composition. Archaeologist Feng Guangsheng believes there is still a lot to learn about the Zhenghoyi bells. Since being on Earth, the Zhenghoyi bells have been studied a lot in terms of its music, casting, and acoustics. However, less research has been done on the bell's decoration. If you look at the bells with a magnifying lens, you'd be shocked. On every single bell, there are dragons. Some of them are as small as a grain of rice. The decoration on the bells resembles a sea of dragons. International bronze scholar Jay Xu says that in the past 20 years, not many scholars have dedicated to the study of the Zhenghoyi bells. There are so many new discoveries in the last 40 years during the Chinese economic reform. The country has been undergoing tremendous growth、uh, economically. China was so rich as a civilization in its cultural heritage. So whenever you dig, there's always new things. So the archaeologists probably they're very busy and preoccupied in coping with new discoveries rather than continue to study the Zhenghuayi Bell. So this is a challenge. Jay Xu believes that China's government should dedicate more resources to engaging scholars and musicians, both in China and from overseas, to continue research into the Zhenghuayi Bells. From 5th century BC onward until the 20th century, the phenomenon of two-tone bell was lost, no longer、uh, understood until recently. So, what happened that such a magnificent music-making and such high technology of making two-tone bells and making them also into a complete charm? Why it was lost, and what happened? So. We could use music instruments as a source of evidence to understand the social, cultural, political issues of the time. We definitely need to mention a musician here named Lao Luo from Germany. I really appreciate a person from overseas, Lao Luo. He's very much into the bells, and he's been doing research on them. Lao Luo is so engaged with the bells. Why do both a Chinese archaeologist and the curator of the Hubei Museum speak so highly of a German musician? Robert Zollisch, better known as Lao Luo in China, is a composer and producer of Chinese art music. I would really love to see the bells on the leading stages of the world. It's a very, very big challenge to revive the Chinese bells music because the bells not a flexible instrument where you just can buy one, bring into your studio and play and learn yourself. It requires a really big space, a lot of players working together. We would need a real professional bells ensemble to perform on that. Trained for for a long time, we would need a, a very clear concept of what we want, how we want to develop the bells. Lao Luo has been working on music for bells for over a decade. He wants to trace back through history the music that was developed for the bells, and he has been pursuing the development of a professional chime bell orchestra. These are the two goals that he and his wife, a Chinese singer, have been striving for. They reached their first goal when they produced this song. 
based on the Chinese poem "Sorrow After Departure" by Qu Yuan. Qian's time is about the same like Zhang Hui's times, so I picked these lyrics and put it into music because it's a match in this kind of energies, the bells and these lyrics. As for his goal of creating a chime bell orchestra, Lao Luo has been doing what he can to make it come true. He has started making and testing mallets made from different materials for more than a decade, and has been helping to train bell players. So we still are on the search here, and I'm on the search since more than ten years. It's not something you achieve within a few months. You have to tr- train an ensemble, you have to write scores, you have to create better copies of the bells, and this all takes a lot of time and a lot of money. Lao Luo believes that it is a mistake to think the government should be responsible for reviving the development of the bells as an art form. Instead, he insists that people in the music field should put more effort into developing this ancient Chinese art. But more than that, he believes that the revival of the bells and the work to ensure they are an instrument, not just a museum piece, is the responsibility of Chinese artists, archaeologists, and also other people around the world. The curator at the Hubei Provincial Museum, Fang Qin, echoes this view. In the era of the internet, we want to use more online platforms to introduce this ancient instrument. We will put online more music that's tailor-made for the bells, and we're going to provide online more of the musicological knowledge contained in the inscriptions on the bells. It's our responsibility not only to protect this national treasure and study it, but also to inherit it and showcase it as well. Since 2007, our museum has started to open for the public free of charge. Alongside a large number of visitors from home and abroad, several world leaders have also come to visit the museum to see this masterpiece of Warring States-era engineering. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi visited our museum and was impressed by the Zhonghui bells. Following a performance on a replica, he was very excited and picked up the mallet to strike the bells himself. Over the past four decades, the Zhonghui bells have bridged the gap between ancient and modern times. The people in China and people around the world, both the young and the old. 2018 marks the 40th anniversary of the excavation of the Zhonghui bells. Many people who were involved in their discovery and restoration have come to the Hubei Provincial Museum to pay a visit, including the Taiwanese curator Liao Guiying. We and the Hubei Provincial Museum and other mainland museums, we are just like family. For decades, we have kept in close contact. We often talk to each other on WeChat. On the 40th anniversary, when I came back to Hubei again, we greeted each other with hugs. Although our hair has gone gray, we are still excited by our friendship, which was brought about by the bells. We often describe the Chinese mainland and Taiwan as one family on both sides of the straits, and the Zhonghui bells are a bridge that brings together people's hearts. The bells have played a role in the creation of many friendships that are as strong now as they were four decades ago, and they have endured despite the dramatic changes in the lives of Chinese people during that time. Forty years ago, 60% of household income in China went towards buying food. 
Today, 60% of household income is free to go towards developing a lifestyle that includes services like overseas travel and quality cultural products. As people's living conditions have improved, their awareness of the importance of the protection of cultural relics has also improved. From the old friends who helped uncover the secrets of the bells over the past four decades, through to the young musicians who represent the future of chime bell music, they all share in the optimism that these majestic bells have a bright future as part of Chinese culture. This has been a China Plus production. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe to the podcast for free. If you have any comments about the episodes, just send us an email: podcast at cri.com.cn. Podcast at cri.com.cn. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at China Plus News. China China Plus.